Steve Dotto here. Welcome to Dotto Tech. I am so glad you're joining us today. This is the second of our live shows that we produced, uh, hosting them on Google Hangouts on air, and a far better show this week, at least as far as content is concerned. I have four excellent guests joining me for today's show. I have Bosco Anthony, I have John Beeler, Brooks Duncan, and David Hathaway all joining us in our Hangout on air. So this is the audio version. If you want to see the entire video version of this, head on over to our YouTube channel at Dottotech or go to dottotech.com, and there you can view and hear the full video version of this of this webcast. Uh, this will just be the audio version. So without any further ado, I think we'll just jump in and pick up the podcast at its start. You got to do what you got to do, my man. Do what you got to Hey, well, hello and welcome to Dotto Tech. I am Steve Dotto and you are joining us live for our hangout and we see the room rapidly filling up with our guests and our attendees and our virtual studio audience. I am really glad that you're all joining us for this, the second of uh, the new generation of Dottotech as we move from the traditional broadcast radio type world to this new online world, this new online world, like, like, it's, <laughs> like none of us have ever been online before. Brand new. It's brand new and spe special. But here's, here's, here's our, here's our show tonight. We've got, we've got a great, uh, great series of guests. We've got uh, John Beeler uh, uh, joining us. Uh, say hi, John. Hello. John's been, of course, uh, is a regular on our App Wednesday or, or App Thursday shows. Uh, we also have Brooks Duncan, who is joining us. Brooks is the online is the uh, paperless office expert. He's been a guest before on the show, both as a as a contender on App Thursday, where I think he just failed miserably, as I recall. Uh, but he, did you did you fail miserably then, Brooks? Uh, came in third, let's say. You came third. There's only four people. <laughs> exactly. Did Factora finish ahead of you? I think uh, he might have even remember. finished ahead of you. And then we also have uh, joining us Bosco Anthony, who hey, is guys. Uh, hey Bosco. Now Bosco is a social media expert, uh, and he I was just speaking in Victoria at Social Media Camp, and Social Media Camp had all these high-profile speakers in. You know, they had me, they had uh, they had a, <laughs> they had a, a Maffin, Todd Maffin was speaking, and Melanie Dodaro, and all these really high-profile uh, experts. And you know who like walked away with everybody saying, "Oh, you had to see this guy. This guy was the most amazing speaker." It was Bosco. Bosco absolutely wowed them all. So I thought, oh, "An intelligent guy, we better get him on the show because Lord knows we don't have enough of those right now." So <laughs> yeah, thanks for fine. joining us, Bosco. You're too kind, Steve. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. Well, now you've got pressure. Uh, yes. And uh, and also joining us in in in, in his chamber of horrors is <laughs> David Hathaway. <laughs> Hi, Dave. I'm sorry, Steve. I oh, look at the background didn't... there. At least move the camera so you're in the center and not the... Oh, there goes the cat walking through. It's Your cat's pooping in the background, Hathaway. That's my production manager. <laughs> That's your production manager. Dave's actually not a guest. He's a high-budget show manager. Dave is actually going to be monitoring the chat. So all of our virtual studio audience, here's what's going to happen is you guys get to participate as much as we can possibly include you. But the way you got to do that is all through the uh, through the chat. So keep uh, asking questions in the chat, making comments. Dave's going to be monitoring the chat and then coming in from time to time when there's something that we should notice. This is a new venture for us, this show, trying to do it this way. So what we're going to try and do uh, in the future is I'm going to see whether or not my guests have the bandwidth to be able to follow what's happening in chat 
or if it's or if we have to concentrate just too much on on the conversation that's happening. So we're trying to determine whether or not we need a uh, we need a moderator uh, within the chat area. And and also Hathaway just loves kicking people off. So. Yeah, I've got my my band hammer is at the ready. Yeah, well, many many years. What was your very first like? like you, Dave goes back to the bulletin board services. What was the first BBS you used, Dave? Pretty sure remember? it was called Guys and Gals. It was based out of North Vancouver. Um, and I would connect to it with a 1200 baud modem. Yes, sir, Bob. 2400 baud modem, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I ran uh, my first BBS on a 300 baud modem. Oh, on what, an Atari. Did you go back to, what, what was your BBS, John? Hogan's Heroes. Are you serious? I was Colonel Hogan, yes. <laughs> I think I remember that one. <laughs> I... I I don't. I yeah. had one called the Mars Subway for the longest time. Yeah. Well, I beat you all because I ran look a Star at... Trek BBS. You did. You... <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, Dave's modem. He just he just wheeled back to show it to us because he still got it there in one of the racks in the back of his office. Yeah. I have good. mine in my garage. Do you? Yeah. Oh, I, I threw all that stuff out. I do have an old TRS eighty, the old uh, the old uh, computer. I think it was a TRS eighty. Uh, but the old portable, the little mobile one that had a uh, I, the acoustic coupling modem, I've still got one of those. I have two of those. They're uh, they're a lot of fun. Well, they were back in the day. Back, you know, they were uh, they were reporters. You know, the newspaper reporters and radio reporters' best friends because they were fi people were filing stories on those all the time. And they, they connected the twelve hundred baud. So they had great, really great good keyboards. That's yeah. a, that's the art that's lost in technology today. Everybody except, and I'm not even sure Lenovo still does it, but IBM was the last company that made great keyboards for any computers. I mean, can you think of a computer today with a great keyboard? No. Well, I've These I've really adapted These to the Apple here? chiclet. Keyboard. Crap. I actually like the Apple one, but oh, there there does there does seem to be a burgeoning community of uh, company or very niche companies making. Uh, specialized mechanical key keyboards and yeah. uh, there's lots of sites that offer them and you get them in different types and feel and, and yeah. different things like that so and you pay pretty penny for them 1992 what's yeah. that yeah they were very expensive yeah yeah they get expensive so here's a so here's the let's uh, let's get into uh, actually topics uh, topics that we want to be covering today so the number one story I think is the story that broke this morning and it should have broken about three months ago uh, but for those of you who uh, who are still on eBay, uh, you should probably be logging back on to eBay and changing your password. Uh, maybe deleting your account might be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's certainly the way that I think I would go right now with what's happened. Uh, so, uh, so Brooks, you've been following the story. What's, give us a backstory. Yeah. So basically, uh, like you said, eBay just announced that three months ago. I don't know why it's taken this long to come out, but three months ago there their systems were hacked and a database was accessed which had usernames, encrypted passwords, they say encrypted, um, even worse, stuff like date of birth and uh, all sorts of personally identifying information. So uh, they're saying go in and change your passwords, which I went to do and I guess I was happy to see that my eBay account has been disabled for a couple of years now because I, I my username and password doesn't work anymore uh, and it's, I, it's yeah. gone my I couldn't even do a password reset so I guess that shows how often I use eBay these days but um, but yeah if you if you're an eBay user get in there and and change your password I think I, I'm kind of in the same boat I went in and, and it turned out that I owed them a dollar 13 
<laughs> I'm on the I'm on the bad list, so I've been disabled too. But when I'm trying to remember the last time was I used eBay. I mean, I just now I just avoid it in search when things when I'm looking for things. I you know when it comes up, I'm looking for a product. The eBay, I just ignore it now. It's almost become irrelevant to a lot of us, but obviously not to everybody. I use it quite a lot. Yeah, you still use eBay? Yep. For the yeah, maker a... in the maker community. Absolutely. There's always some kind of weird motor or part you need that you can only get in some weird place in Europe I have never even knew was a country. And uh, it's $3, and they'll ship it to you for free, which I don't understand how that can possibly happen, but I'll take it. So so you, so John is John's always the guy that uses everything. So you're still in eBay. Bosco, did you use eBay much? Uh, used to way back in the day. I, I, I collect um, war DVDs, like old-school war DVDs, and you can only buy them through eBay. So... Uh, yeah, at one point that was a craze. I, I have over 800 old like school. Battle of the Bulge and yeah, basically the Audie yeah. Murphy story and absolutely. I've got pretty much uh, yeah. Some, I've even got some Italian spaghetti war movies too. So uh, oh. yeah, yeah. Very so so uh, eBay is well, eBay is still nice. the place for some collectors. Well, that's interesting. So what about yeah. you, Dave? Just out of curiosity, because you used to. I know you did a lot that that you've done a lot in the past. <laughs> well, with respect to eBay, I, yeah, I haven't bought anything off eBay in a very long time. Um, I was much because you have thing. everything. Look at the back <laughs> behind you. You have everything you could possibly need. You probably sell stuff on eBay. Guitars there. Yeah, guitars. Um, but, I, I, I thought kites. Yeah, no, I usually haven't with kites. Okay. Um, you buy a guitar. They often get to be too expensive too quickly. So yeah, I I was much the same thing. I was like, uh, what was my eBay password? Because it wasn't actually <laughs> key on since I've been in there. Okay, so, so here's so, I, I... yeah. So here's the thing about this eBay story that kind of resonates as far as other than us talking whether or not eBay is still relevant is a they were hacked in a very deep level. Multiple employees, uh, their passwords were accessed, and so the information, as Brooks was saying, the information that got out was was deep. Uh, there was your name, there's your birth date, your address, which typically speaking, like when Adobe was hacked your address, your physical mailing address wasn't a part of that information that was leaked out. And this has been percolating for three months. So whoever had all of this information has been able to be working on it for three months. Now the eBay spokesperson said that all of the passwords were encrypted so they didn't think that they were at risk. But three months to brute force passwords is a pretty long time in this day and age. So with, mind you, they had a, an embarrassment of riches of information at, at what was it, over, was it 236 million? Accounts or something? Was it just an astronomical number of yeah, accounts? Yeah, it was about 15 million Brightons and 145 million accounts that were hacked. 145 million, yeah, yeah. and just 50 million in Britain, yeah. Yeah. So I, so, I think tomorrow's and, headlines will say eBay eBay uh, downloads I hack tomorrow's headlines. I think that's what it's going to look like. Oh yeah, yeah. I so so here's the so so this brings us to the well. First of all, eBay has a lot to answer for, which we'll be following for a long time. Because with three months, that's just too long to let us kind of be dangling having our personal information uh, out there. And the type of information was was really significant information for identity theft. Uh, but that brings us to password management, which uh, so we'll do a little bit of a we'll do a little bit of d due diligence and remind everybody once again 
that they should be uh, changing their password and making sure that they are uh, making sure that they all of their passwords and making sure they have a good password strategy. So everybody except Beeler, because Beeler is the last holdout of technical people I know. That, <laughs> that John John believes he's smarter than any password manager. No, uh, no, it's not that. It's just that I use a lot of different technology all the time, and uh, one password or whatever you know, lost password. Those apps aren't always necessarily on the platform that I'm playing with. So I'm basically screwed out of my account, and it's just a hassle factor that I don't like to deal with. I have my own system that has worked just fine for years, so I'll stick with that until, you know, I stop playing with toys, which will probably be never. <laughs> and, and, and now, did you change your eBay password right away? Uh, no, I haven't. But you know, I would like them to buy something in there because my my credit card got compromised last week, and and all my PayPal stuff is still associated with that old. I just, oh, I just, oh, oh, oh. do you see the irony here, people? Yes. Do we all see the irony here? <laughs> do I have to point it out? Just a little bit. <laughs> okay. So, Brooks, what are you using for uh, for password management? What, what are you recommending people do? Well, the first thing that I would recommend, which people always hear, but from at least my, you know, friends and family is almost never followed, is don't have the same password everywhere. Um, yes. Lots of people do it, um, but something like this just shows you if that, uh, you know, if that gets decrypted, these passwords, then they could have access to your email account, which could then lead access to everything else. Uh, once your email account is compromised, you're gone. So I use an, uh, an app called 1Password, which is on uh, Mac, Windows, and iOS. And basically what it does is it allows you to generate and store passwords for each site that you visit or any other, um, any other accounts that you want to store and secure notes and stuff like that. And then you just have a master password to get at that. Um, so that's what I use. There's and lots of other options really, out there. And that is a really good app. It's a little on the expensive side, though. You spend, yeah. uh, it's just about 100 bucks a year to get them onto all of your platforms, isn't it, Brooks? Uh, yeah, probably not that much, but, uh, and you know, you can use it. You don't have to upgrade to the late, latest versions. It's, okay. it's a one-time purchase, but you know, they do charge for updates. So you could just okay. keep riding the old versions if you want. Got it. Got it. And, and Bosco, what, what's your, what's your strategy? So I have three. The first one is my passwords are really long, anywhere from 16 to 20 characters. Uh, I also speak Swahili fluently, so some of my passwords have an African language with, uh, oh. with a ton of uh, infusion. That's I also an unfair took... advantage. Yeah, and I also took history, so I love dates, and I have a lot of dates in my head, so I, I infuse a lot of that. But yeah, the tool I use is Pascaddy for my uh, cell phone. Uh, mm -hmm. My cell phone has a lock on it as well, so if I ever lose my cell phone, no one can really access it and everything gets deleted. But Pascaddy is uh, what I use for pretty much all my uh, centralized locations uh, for, for all our accounts, uh, for our clients and ourselves. Okay. And uh, and, and uh, well, I, Dave Hathaway and I both are LastPass users. Now, LastPass is yeah. a uh, – it's free on your desktop uh, on any on any of the major operating systems, and if you want to use it on your mobile devices, it costs you twelve dollars a year. And they have significantly upped their game. I'm, I'm I was actually almost ready last year to try something different than LastPass. I don't know if you felt the same way, Dave, but they were they were just on the verge of oh, they were it was a little bit cumbersome. But the well, last rev of their software is is pretty darn good. The last the one that I used before LastPass um, was the one Brooks had used, One Password. And me and one password had a great big fight one day. Um, I, I forget, it had gotten to the point where it was prompting me to save a password on every single site I had, regardless of the fact that it had already saved a password. 
and I just got kicked off one day and went last. And there you go. Here we go. (laughs) And and I haven't. I you know I I like the changes that they made with LastPass. There's a couple that kind of irked me a bit. You know, if I'm using a really really long, you know, 26 character random password in a couple places, I don't need to be reminded every once in a while that, oh, you're using the same password here. It's like go ahead, go crack it. I am trying something out in our awesome software. You just and look, there's a poll. I just put up an instant poll. Oh, very can you cool. all see that? Can, I, can, can the chat room see it? Yes, the chat room is getting it. I can see there. Do you use a password manager? So everybody out there, vote, and you have a chance of winning absolutely nothing. We've got no prizes this week. <laughs> Some point in the future, we will have prizes. This week, no prizes whatsoever. So our options are yes and now? Well, actually, that's no. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just incredibly challenged. Uh, oh. Okay. You know what? That's awesome. Anyways, I just ended the poll. I'm going to reset. Oh, now you have to vote again. Oh, <laughs> thanks, I just thanks, put up a blank Beeler. poll. <laughs> Beeler. Somebody else has to do this. Do you? <laughs> Isn't that what Hathaway's for? You know, he should. I, I'm not sure I gave him permission, though. I think. Do you? No, I can, use... I can do it. I can see the icon. Well, then you do it. Right here. Earn your salary, Pathway. I can't ban John, man. What's that? There's no button beside John's name to test it out. Because I'm an admin. Yeah. Oh, so you can't you can't actually put it up. Bring Shannon in, and I'll ban her. How's that? Okay. There we go. That's fine. Yes and no. So how do you spell no, Beeler? (laughs) N O W. Okay. It says uh, the chat people are saying oh, the poll shows two blank options. I know, I know, I did that because now I have to end the poll. The problem was I didn't end the poll. I'm just going to put up do you use a manager? And it's and you have to, the password is inferred <laughs> <laughs> because it'll take me too long. There it is. Booyah. How's that, folks? So please, everybody vote, and then let's let's move along. Nothing to see here. Okay, we've beaten this eBay thing to death. We'll be returning to it at some point in the near future. You know what? A story that fascinated me. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I was following the whole thing that's going on with net neutrality, with the states, with the changes in net neutrality here. And I don't think it's going to affect us too much in Canada because we have some pretty good net neutrality laws. But sorry, Dave. It will, because so much of the stuff that we consume on the Internet is going to be coming out of the United States. But we won't... It's not like we're going to have a free access pipe down into all those servers. Well, you know, that's the question. Here. That's the question, is is where is the where is the content metered? Isn't it metered at the ISP level? Yeah, but we get, you know, it takes ISPs, you know, like out of the U.S. I think it will definitely have an impact in Canada. On, on, no matter on, what on our laws are. So for people that don't know what we're yeah. talking about, the net neutrality story is is theoretically... Oh, it's interesting. Am I still up? I hope yeah. you can still hear me, but for yeah. some reason my video seemed to stop working. Um, no, your video is still working. We can see you. Oh, okay. Well, I just came up as an image on my screen. It's, it's because I'm talking net neutrality. Somebody out there is listening and they're yeah. warning me. <laughs> I've, just, I've just been warned by the internet. Um but the, the whole idea behind net neutrality, the whole idea behind net neutrality is you can uh, an ISP could theoretically meter the amount of in, the, the, the flow, the data rate. Uh, so the best example of it would be Shaw here in Canada. 
So Shaw has both internet telephone and internet service uh, that they provide to their customers. Now, if you chose to use a different internet telephone rather than the Shaw phone, theoretically Shaw could throttle the bandwidth to that particular app and then keep it wide open for all of the Shaw users. So the experience for Shaw users with their internet phone would be vastly superior to somebody using, say, a Vonage or something like that. And that, of course, would be, would be, uh, would we be using, would be taking an unfair advantage. So we've got very stringent laws against that in Canada and they aren't going to be compromised in any way. In the States, they're looking at changing those laws and allowing companies to be able to not reduce bandwidth necessarily, but to increase access if they're willing to pay extra or if they're willing to create that uh, a two-tiered system. And when you think about who might want extra bandwidth, it's the huge players in the game. It's the Googles who own YouTube. It's the, uh, who else Netflix. would be there? Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Netflix. So those are the players that are going to want to increase the bandwidth. So what they will do, though, by effectively ensuring a better highway of information for their product is they will throttle the potential of a future competition because they've already got the cash flow in order to support it. Did I explain that well, guys? Pretty good, yep. Okay. So, and it will affect us up here because, so, so I, I, okay, so uh, any thoughts on it? Move to Russia. <laughs> Move to <laughs> Russia. Yeah, things are better there. <laughs> yeah, so, are you are you editorializing Bosco, saying that as bad as it is here, it's still better than everywhere else in the world? Yeah, I mean, let's look at China, for example. How are they yes. doing? Yeah, um, no, they they've got a lot more censorship than yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, look at what Hathaway is wearing now. Yeah, I brought my wardrobe, man. <laughs> Why? Why did I invite these people on? So does anybody have any, so is there anything that any, do, well, is there anybody following close enough to know, is it going to pass? Is this law going to, are they going to oh, get I, it through or is there going to be I enough? I don't see any reason why it won't pass because it's it's full of people financing it to make sure it does go through. Well, the bigger question is why are they doing this? I think why? entirely it's, it's just going to enable those large companies to make much more money off their off their feeds. And keep people watching their stuff as opposed to going out anywhere else across the internet and looking for other entertainment because they're going to end up going on these marginalized connections back to other sites and going, oh, that's a pretty crappy experience. I'm just going to go back to Netflix or whoever's you know putting the extra money for the bill. Okay. By the way, I've got, uh, can I put up the polls? Can you see them? Can you guys see the polls ended? How do we make God very happy? No, oh, there it is. God's about there to get banned. If you one more time. I, I actually uh, ended the poll and I showed the the results for Todd. Oh, you did? Okay, so it was forty four percent yes, fifty six percent no as far as people using the uh, wow. using the uh, using password managers. Interesting. Good. Thanks for that feedback. I think we needed okay. an I'm not sure option. The other the other story that absolutely blew me away as I was starting to study this net neutrality. Is has anybody seen what Estonia is planning to do? Yes, they're trying to invite everyone over. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, tell us what you what, what you read about it, Bosco. Well, it's from what I understand, by 2015, they want to allow over 10 million people globally to have homeland IDs. So either either we're going to create a country full of uh, terrorists, or we're going to basically allow everybody to join. 
Uh, I, I mean, it's it's crazy. I, I think it's crazy. But it, then again, I mean, you know, how's the economy in Estonia right now? Maybe they need they need this. I think it's brilliant in one aspect. What they're doing is they're creating a virtual a virtual country, so anybody can become a citizen of Estonia. Basically, they're saying we're going to give you citizenship, uh, and you pay taxes. And yep. but they, but but and that but if you reinvest your profits from your business, so you can so you can set up a business in Estonia and be a citizen and have all the rights. I don't know what the rights of Estonian citizenship <laughs> bear or bring along with them. Uh, but you get the also along with that if you reinvest your profits back in Estonia, you're tax free. Yeah. So I could see you know we could see a bit of a a bit of a technical revolution happening there. Well, I'm not too sure. Like when we're thinking about with global outsourcing how companies look at, you know, reinvesting in different marketplaces and stuff like that. I'm just wondering what that might do for the technical landscape in Estonia. Yeah, I mean, maybe tomorrow they'll start selling land in, Green in Greenland too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting option. And I'm not sure what happens to your, whether you have dual citizenship if you become an Estonian citizen or not. Well, I think, yeah. I think it's going to be huge for businesses who want to to do business in Europe in general, because it can be a pain in the ass to set up all the banking over there and that sort of thing. So if you're able to establish residency just by going, you know, taking a walk over to the closest Estonia um, consulate. consulate to get to get the residency, this e-residency, uh, that could really help smooth a lot of, you know, grease the rails, so to speak. So I think it will be big. Yeah, and I think there's a lot more other countries that are trying to adopt this sort of international trade as well. Like Belgium's doing that right now too. There's a lot of advertisement going through uh, where you could get a lot of tax credits if you start setting up offices in, in Brussels and Belgium as well. So, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see what the Europe's trying to do. I think they're basically trying to bring people from outside of the the continent into their playground. And it's coming from a country that doesn't have a tradition of being necessarily one of those fringe players that look for gaming investment yep. or that, right. that tried to play on the fringe and take advantage, you know, the banking stuff or anything like that. They've just, you know, all of a sudden out of the blue, they've said, hey, why not us? I guess they figure somebody's going to do it. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Okay, let's, uh, let, uh, the next story that I wanted to talk about is I wanted to jump in. Uh, oh, John, John Beeler, you've been typing away and you just got back. From one of your one of your all expenses paid junkets to Las Vegas. How was it in Las Vegas, Mr. Beeler? It was good, although we weren't mostly in Vegas. We were out in the desert for the most Auto part. Desk. Yes. Lucky oh, there's me crazy. That too. Your post. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So I did a I did a media tour of parts of Nevada to do the stuff that you can do in Nevada that's not the Strip, although we did spend a little bit of time there. Uh, and then I flew to San Francisco, and last weekend I was at the world's largest maker fair, which uh, had 120,000 uh, attendees uh, over wow. two days. Wow. Yeah. 120,000 for the maker. So that must have been just, was it like the old days of the Macworld? Was the excitement and the energy just awesome? It was. It was pretty awesome. Just imagine, like in Vancouver, if you know Playland, that entire place was basically full of Maker Faire. There was two major huge zones, and one of the really neat things about it being in San Francisco is the fact that you have this sort of, uh, someone explained to me, this interesting nexus of people with a lot of money 
and a lot of and creative hippie artist type people. So they do these incredible art sculptures and vehicles and things like that that they take to Burning Man and things like Maker Faire. So these huge outdoor spaces and it was a beautiful weekend too, a whole weekend. And they're like driving around these these giant like crazy like there's one giant octopus that has these tentacles that shoots fire and all this crazy stuff and you know it's just everywhere and there's a, a life-size version of mousetrap that people actually can play in <laughs> the mousetrap game i love the mousetrap game yeah yeah well there's a life-size version of it uh and uh it's pretty spectacular to see um I'll, I'll post a link to my Flickr. I have a couple hundred photos I took at the event, uh, and I'll post a, a link to that in in, uh, in uh, the chat if anyone's interested. Oh, please uh, but do. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just... Uh, no, it's really fun for me because I've been uh, a, a presenter and uh, an exhibitor at the Vancouver Maker Fair, which is coming up uh, June 7th and 8th. Uh, but this was the one of the first times I've actually got to be just purely an attendee. And uh, so I got to sort of spend two days just sort of walking around, and, and I still didn't see everything over the two days. Were you a bit of a celebrity there, John? Because John has a, 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 a book out on, on 3D printing. It, it was fun to be there and talk to a lot of the people that made some of the software that I, that I cover in my book. Um, did you sign any uh, autographs? Uh, I did not. Oh, okay. But you no. brought back stuff. What did you bring back? What did you bring back? Uh, um, well, Maker Fair, for those who don't know, it's basically uh, it's show and tell for creative geeks, basically. And so people have these projects that they're either working on themselves or that they're looking to sell. Um, and there's all kinds of just sort of neat geekery that can happen. And one of the things I bought when I was down there is this uh, this little LCD display. Uh, and basically, these panels used to be crazy expensive, and now you can buy them. This was this whole thing was a hundred bucks, and basically Ooh. you can put animations and video and stuff on it. I, I don't know if you can really see it that well. <laughs> yeah, we on this. see it. Yeah, I'm having so flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this is the same kind of stuff that you would see, like you know, at the Canucks game, and uh, but the Canucks have, like, game in 1988. Yeah. So, but the neat thing about this is, I mean, I soldered all the parts together last night, and you know, it's just a really simple, like basically an Arduino on the back controlling it, and you can customize it. I just put some quick stuff on here. I haven't really had a chance to play now, with it yet. But now, most of our viewers don't know, but my history, I I used to program those boards for the Vancouver Canucks and for the BC Lions and the Vancouver and the Vancouver Canadians. So I could make you the clapping hands, yes. or I can make you the fanometer or the phenometer. <laughs> we never really knew how to pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what else have you got? So another neat project that I came across was uh, a lovely old couple uh, who live in Pasadena, but clearly they're British. Uh, they created this really neat thing for the Raspberry Pi, which is basically uh, the ISS, the International Space Station. It's a tracker. And so you get a Raspberry Pi and there's software and you put it on the Raspberry Pi. And I don't, I haven't set it up yet, but basically this display will tell you where the ISS is above you, how far away it is. It could even tweet on your behalf when it's over your house, and then you can tweet to the space station. It's just a neat little thing, and it's just a fun little project um, that uh, you can uh, use to follow the people that are in space. Okay. Um, I, I Definitely there was a lot of 3D printing, uh, so I got some samples of some cool uh, filament. This is uh, called tea glass. It's basically the same material that uh, drinking cups is made out of, and I can actually oh. print with it. And it's food-grade quality, and uh, it's nice in my favorite green. Um, I also got this neat little gadget that lets you attach it to your bike wheel. Oh, this is cool. And basically, it does uh, LED lights in various patterns. And so when you have this on your wheel and it's spinning, you choose the pattern, and then I don't 
people can see this, but... It's pulled back a bit. Yeah, let me go back this. Yeah. So you can see on the, on the side here, uh, other side here, um, basically some of the patterns it can do, and it could actually do a whole bunch of different patterns depending on what you select and the colors and stuff like that. So as you're, as you're pedaling your bike at night, uh, you're basically giving off a light show. So it's a lot of fun stuff like that. Good for safety as well. They yeah, look exactly. awesome. I've seen them before, and yeah. they're absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, and now I okay, and and the last thing I want you to show me, John, is I want you to show that ring because I want one of those rings. Oh, All right, I'm gonna show the glasses. Okay, show. I'll the put glasses. on my EL wire glasses, and then there's this little ring that I got. Let me get this here. How does that look? So yeah, this is basically, gear. it's a fidget ring. It's called a gear ring. Gearring.com, and basically, if you can see that, it's spinning. Yeah, it's a, it's it's really neat how it's made. It's all one piece. There's no seam or anything like that, and you can just play for hours. It's a self uh, lubricating gear uh, bearing, so it it will uh, it'll stay um, you know nice and smooth. It actually gets smoother the more I use it. So, oh. okay, it's, uh, it's pretty neat. So you had a good time. You had a good time at the maker. Now, when June sixth, seventh, Maker Fair in Vancouver? It's the weekend of June seventh and eighth. Yes, and, and where, uh, where is it at? It's at uh, the Peony Forum in Vancouver. And you'll be there with and and how big will it be there? How many uh, how many displays do you think they'll have? I'm actually not sure. They keep uh, they keep adding to the pile. There's going to be probably a few hundred. And the nice thing about it is there's something for everybody. There's um, you know all the geeky stuff. There's 3D printing and that kind of thing. There's a lot of art, really cool art projects from various local artists. There's also a big craft section. So you know uh, people that like crafts and homemade stuff and you know kind of geeky toys and things like that that you can purchase are all available there too. So it's it's really just a fun place to hang out and it's great for kids too because they have like lots of workshops where you can actually sit down and. You, and my friend uh, brought his daughter a couple years ago for the first time, and she didn't know what it was going to be about. She ended up loving to learn how to solder and all this other crazy stuff. And it's you know it's really an expensive weekend uh, event to go to with your whole family. Very cool. Okay, Maker Fair. So uh, if you can grab a link to it, uh, pop it into the chat window. Sure. John. Yeah, it's MakerFair.ca. Bosco, I want to ask you. You were, you were talking about uh, some cops are starting to jump out. We'll be back to Beeler in a minute, I'm sure, because some cops. <laughs> In yeah, so countries are starting to play with Google Glass. Yeah, I just read an article today that the cops in Dubai are looking or considering uh, using the Google Glass to uh, start tracking speedsters in their country. And uh, it sounds like John was mentioning that a lot of other police uh, <clears throat> yeah, departments are actually considering using Google Glasses going forward because it's a lot easier than using the, the laptops in the car. So they're, they're, they're just using the networking as in to pull up inf relevant information? John, yeah, and photography yeah. as well, I think, too. Okay. Yeah, definitely definitely for uh, photography and being... It's a little bit better than the dash cams that you typically see when you see you know, a, a cop pulling someone over and that kind of thing. It's, 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 you, know, you actually see a guy yelling off in the distance or whatever. Um, and the thing that the cops seem to like about it, it's very unobtrusive. It doesn't add any weight to... You know, they're already probably carrying a lot of a lot of gear with them and and it's uh it's you know it's just there and it's it's not like wearing a GoPro or something more bulky. Sorry. Todd was mentioning that some pink noise keeps popping in. We had I had a burrito for too. lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah we had some last week too we had this little squeak that would come in occasionally. I don't know where that's coming from but it's uh, something that we're gonna want to track down. Hopefully it's not too irritating. Hmm. We'll, we'll we'll worry about that. Hathaway, fix it. <laughs> so. My cat was just here. It dealt with the squeak. 
your cat was just there. Yes, uh, indeed. Um, next topic. Uh, what was it? Uh, just sorry, I'm just kind of I'm, I'm a little behind in, in what we're looking at. Um, oh, this one is the this is one that we I started to touch on last week, but it's driving me crazy. It's Google being caught in the European Union's crosshairs uh, with uh, a, a some gentleman in Spain decided to on behalf of the entire world sue Google because his name kept popping up in Google search based on the fact he'd gone bankrupt 11 years before he'd something like this. So he, this, and it was in a newspaper article. If you searched his name, this was the first thing that would come up in Google search uh, because apparently he's done nothing else worthwhile in the last 11 years. Um, so he sued Google saying that he should be able to erase his past and that it's not relevant anymore. In the European Union, the courts have agreed with him and now they're saying that Google has to, if people can prove that information is out of date and irrelevant, Google is the one that's responsible for not bringing it up in search results. Yeah. That should be pretty yeah. trivial for them to do, though. It should be? Why should it be? Why should they be, why should they not just, why should they be judging whether or not something is relevant or not? Well, I mean, the thing is, where this guy's information was, that's the question, right? Like, was it in all these news sites all over the planet because he was bankrupt, or was it on some you know blog that he wrote that talked about it? Probably not. Like, no, it was in a newspaper. Not... It was a newspaper article. Right. Yeah, so, so the right, newspaper right has a higher page ranking. So essentially, they have more authority on the search engines. Yeah. Mm. So Google, I think Google can probably do something about it. Imagine what they will do is they'll probably put some fairly arcane system in place if the law goes through. Some fairly arcane system in place that will force that will allow people to be able to um, to be able to petition them to have Isn't information. Isn't just an removed. SQL query exclude or something? Like it, it should be like two yeah. command lines to, to to do. But but how but how could people decide what should be and what shouldn't be excluded? I mean that's that's the slippery slope. Plus, is it is that search just going to be excluded in the European Union? And if people came in and, and searched Google through a proxy, could they in well, their searching in North America would they find the information? China turned off Google for <laughs> their country, right? So why not? Uh, it would have to be localized, I would think, because there'd be different rules, and you, he, this guy would have to go to court in Canada to get Canadian Google to block it and the U.S. Google to block it, wow. those types of things. I think it'll get stuck. Now, in, it'll stuck, get stuck in international courts uh, bureaucracy. I don't think it's going to go anywhere personally. Yeah, no, yeah. And that that kind of leads us into Bosco. I wanted you to explain to me. Yep. What's going on? I've been hearing all these words. Now, I'm, I'm increasingly getting interested in how Google search works because of my YouTube channel, because I've been growing on YouTube, and I've just been a lot more interested in being found occasionally now as, we, as we're changing our business model here a bit. And I keep hearing about Hummingbird and all these new Google updates on how Google searches the algorithms. So maybe can you kind of give us a little bit of a, of a history on what's, ha what, what's been happening as far as, the, as far as how Google finds and ranks information based on search? Yeah, so you know the the gist of it basically is uh, you know I I come from one of those days where we, every digital marketer used to try to game Google to try to get on page one of Google because everybody knows that the best place to to hide a dead body is on page two of Google, right? So um, you know just before Google's fifteenth birthday uh, last year in October, they decided to introduce a, an algorithm called the Hummingbird. And this was just after the panda and the penguin uh, upgrades as well. And so the panda and the penguin updates were basically more geared towards the quality of content and ensuring that we weren't having duplicate content out there, making sure that you know backlinks to crappy sites uh, 
we're being overlooked when Google is judging what uh, ranking should display in the search engine results pages or SERPs as they call it. So Hummingbird kicked in and basically it's it's now moving towards an evolution of how Google uh, produces data based on your keyword search. So the, the gist of it is Google's becoming more behavioral uh, in their results and they call it semantic search essentially. So you know when you're when you're um, as a user if you're putting in a keyword Google's going to try to find phrases that are best related to that specific keyword. From a, from a um, content producer side of things what you need to do is you need to be able to optimize your content not only for that specific keyword but also for phrases as well and that's just one part of the hummingbird uh, you know, hummingbird update. I, I I could spend an hour or two talking about all the different features. But what I did do was I actually did earlier last year a video, a Google Hangout video that's live on YouTube on the hummingbird update, and I believe it's included in the chat, Steve. If you want to share it with with the audience today. Sure, let me grab it. Yeah. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. But it seems to me that the issue is it's kind of what we're facing here is there's a tug of war constantly going with Google. Google's goal is actually kind of probably pretty pure if you think about it. They want people there. I just posted it, uh, the YouTube watch channel for Bosco's uh, video and Bosco posted it as well. Um, Google wants you to find what you're looking for. Yeah, they want to give you the best results. They want yeah. to be, they want to increase their dominance when it comes to search engines. Which creates uh, I mean, faith in them. Yeah, which creates faith in them, and also it, it enhances the quality of that search. And, you know, everyone's been harping on the content train. Everyone's harping on, you know, you have to have good content. You have to write good content. No one's talking about context, or no one's really talking about the quality of that content, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely miles away from content train. We're now basically focusing on the quality of your content. We're building nano tribes for social media, and we're trying to get uh, more engagement with our social platforms. And as much as Google won't come out and say, hey, we're going to favor your social reactions because they, they do not want Google Plus to have that sort of stance where you have to be on Google Plus uh, in order to get Google flavor, uh, you know, Google Google is very strategic in what they're doing, and I believe this is all part to to increase their market share in the social search engine uh, workspace. Is that in, is that partially out of fear of what's happening with Facebook with their with their, what do they call it Facebook graph search? Yeah, a little bit of that, and I think also there. I mean, you know, with the introduction of all these different platforms out there, they run the risk of sitting on their laurels, right? One of the one of the biggest. Uh, someone said this the other day. Creativity is when intelligence uh, does epic shit, right? And so at the end of the day, Google does not want to sit back. They want to make sure that they're constantly creating something because uh, they'll end up being MySpace if they don't. Well, it's certainly it's certainly an interesting thing, and and I mean, there's a, an entire industry has been built around basically gaming the system, as you said, you know, and and they're not going to go away quietly. So Google's got a long and uh, probably a rocky road ahead of them as far as trying to trying to push through the, uh, some of the re kind of reforms that they're doing. Mind you, they have also a pretty darn big hammer. They have the code. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. Um, the next thing that I wanted to oh, I got to go back to Beeler, John. Yes. Talk to me about what happened down in San Francisco. You were talking about the ride-sharing options and how that that uh, that space is changing so much in the United States. Not as fast in Canada, but so much in the states. 
Yeah, um, so when I was in San Francisco, my friend lives in the Mission District, and so we used uh, different ride-sharing options to get to some of the events that I went to. And uh, what's interesting down there, unlike in Vancouver where Uber got shut down a while ago, um, there's there's Uber and Lyft are the sort of the predominant ones, and they're basically the for those that don't know, these are services where uh, anybody can basically make their car a taxi cab service, and they get in a loop, and then so basically I can pull up on my app saying I need to get you know someone to pick me up at, at where I'm at right now in the Mission District, and whatever uh, vehicle is nearest to me will then be dispatched, and I can I can uh, accept or deny that driver coming. Um, and what's happening because these two competing companies are having kind of a price war right now, um, they're they're dropping their prices. But then if there's not enough drivers on the road, they're actually doing uh, kind of like a. a, a an expensive uh, option where basically what normally would cost $10 to go across town, it's now 2.5 times as much uh, because there's not enough drivers. So like how badly do you want to use this service versus another one? And then uh, so that $10 ride turns into $25. And the, the great thing about Uber is that basically, or, or, and Lyft is that, you know, they're basically just regular cars that, you know, anybody would have. Uh, they keep trying to one-up each other as far as the services that they're offering. Like Lyft started offering uh, free water. Uh, they have charging stations inside the cars. So basically any kind of adapter you would need, you can plug your phone in while you're driving. And they have some like, you know, snack bars and that kind of stuff. So it's it's turning into more like being on an airplane than being in a cab, and um, which I, which I actually thought was awesome. And the the thing I really like about the ride sharing options that these uh, companies have is that you do it all in your app. You know, you sort of agree to the price uh, before you even set into the get into the car. If the guy shows up and it's a really sketchy car, you can just sort of like not accept it and you're done. Um, but if you get in and you accept it and he takes you to that destination, or he or she takes you to that destination. Um, Tips included, and it's basically it's the transactions on you just get out of the car when you get to your destination. And it's, it's all done. Did you find that you planned travel differently than you would have if you were taking cabs? Did you start to plan your next leg of your journey earlier? Did you pre-plan a little bit more, or was it as was it as uh, was it as organic as if you were to just call a cab? Uh, it was better than a cab because I knew that this whatever service we went with uh, would. It's whatever is the closest vehicle. So I don't think we ever waited more than like three minutes for a car, wow. um, which is insane. I mean, this is in downtown San Francisco, so it's not quite like in Port Coquitlam where I am right now. It's like I probably have to wait 10 minutes for a cab just to get here from the other spot, whereas in San Francisco there's stuff all over the place. Um, and, you know, I, we, we talked before we started going on air about, you know, some of the local cab companies getting uh, more competitive. Uh, when I was in Portland a little while ago, there was a, a great service that I heard about called Taxi Magic, which basically takes all of the cab companies just and, and requests the one that's physically closest to your location. So it's kind of like what, do, what Uber and Lyft is doing, but it's a third-party service that's sort of aggregating all of the cab companies and, and makes it really, uh, you know, really good for the customer. Um, it, it just depends on 
how much you want to pay and that type of thing as to which service you're going to use. And like I mentioned, in San Francisco, they're having these little price wars and sort of like peak time pricing versus non-peak time. But it's not a, anything scheduled. It's just based on how many drivers they have in their pools. So, you know, while you think rush hour might be more expensive, it actually might be cheaper because there's probably more drivers. Whereas at nighttime or like New Year's Eve, for example, might be a peak time where they, they double their pricing basically. So, and they're free to make those changes whenever they want, which kind of is a pain in the butt because you don't know quite how much you're gonna have to pay before you, uh, before you start looking. So I, I imagine that it's <clears throat> that we fi will find different levels of service in different cities based on because I'm pretty sure that most taxi licensing is municipal right across North America. So we're probably yes. seeing very different levels of service. Uh, well, well and, and even with the, the two different services, I had we had different levels of quality of the vehicles um, and you know some were really nice and clean and newer and some were older and you know junkier uh, the my favorite one was the first one we took we took Lyft and there was a guy and he was basically using that service as a way to fund his startup which is hilarious because it was San Francisco um, and so basically all the money he was making from uh, being a, a basically a cab driver was going towards his his startup which was you know kind of interesting so was he crowdsourcing uh, funding for his startup as well he did have a stack of cards, and he would, you know, he and my friend did exchange cards because my friend was interested in what he was doing. So yes, it, it's the personal touch. <laughs> so that's an awesome <laughs> story. I like it. Yeah. Now, uh, my Brooks, you were mentioning that you, you is it the Yellow Cab app here in Vancouver that you like? Yeah, and I, I think all the cab or many of the cab companies have these apps, but it, it's not quite the same as yeah. as Uber or Lyft, unfortunately. But yeah, basically you. What I did is I just made a reservation with the Yellow Cab app and said I wanted it there at a certain time, and then it sent me a push notification when it was on its way, sent me a push notification when it was here, uh, and yeah, no phone calls or, or anything. It was it was great, actually. And it you also know? saves it also saves your location, which is kind of cool, because yeah. you take a cab from a certain location, uh, it remembers your trips and keeps track of it. What I like about the Yellow Cab app is that um, it, it's really quick as far as you know getting a cab. It's usually a wait time of a minute or two. Uh, the one thing that I think Brooks and I were talking about is just the location side of things is, isn't the greatest because sometimes the taxis will be sent into the different direction unless you manually enter the address. Right, yeah. One other thing I did uh, find out about uh, these services in San Francisco is they uh, Uber and Lyft actually have a rating service that the drivers see that they rate the passengers. No. So yeah. you know, it, it, which is very interesting. You know, it, it's not very often the customer gets a rating that that uh, you know um, could mean you know if you're a bad customer you just won't be accepted uh, if you try to That's, pick up a, a car. Yeah, and that, there has to be a safety aspect to that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Good but stuff. But it's interesting you say that because it sounds like, you know, right now it sounds like we're living in the age of the consumer. Uh, what happens when we start moving towards the age of the uh, the business owner and where the decisions are based on the consumer ratings, right? I mean, yep. that, that could change the game of marketing overnight. Well, yeah. and there's been lots of discussions about, you know, companies like, you know, I won't name any, but a big box store where you do a lot of returns at, eventually they could cut you off and just not and choose not to sell to you because you're – you're just perpetually renting their stuff, basically, right? Yeah, or you're yeah. abusing their return policies. Do you remember and, what happened uh, to the Lululemon guy, the guy who kept buying stuff from the Lululemon store? And oh, they there was that big thing. Huge yeah. uh, thing over the fact that they stopped selling to him. Because he yep. was reselling their product. Yep. Yes, yeah. he was. I think yeah. through eBay, too. 
Yeah, that was quite a kerfuffle, and, and Lululemon took quite a black eye over that. But they yeah. didn't back down, I don't think. No, they didn't. I don't yeah. think they did. I think it's legit. I think a business has the right to choose their customers, just like customers have a right to choose, uh, uh, you know, who they shop from. I think it, it goes both ways. Yeah, I mean, and as service providers, I think it's safe to say we all choose our customers too, in many ways. I, I, I coincidentally, I walked past a bar in San Francisco. It had a big sign on the window that says, "That was a first." We, <laughs> I know. <laughs> we we reserve the right to refuse service for any reason. Right, and you know they've stated it in big bold letters on their um, on their window, and you know especially in a bar where you know you may not want certain customers to come in and, and, and do stuff, just like in a store. But the stores generally want to be more welcoming, so they don't have a big big sign saying you know we can refuse to serve you, uh, or a restaurant. They're good. Okay, well, I want to make sure that we get uh, upcoming uh, upcoming events uh, mentioned in in today's show. And Brooks and I have a a webinar coming up in about two weeks' time, right, Brooks? Yeah, absolutely. My uh, my readers have been asking me for over a year now to do an, a webinar about going paperless with Evernote, and uh, Steve has finally talked me into doing it. So he and I are going to be doing it uh, in early June, and uh, it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Let me just grab the link for that because uh, I should put that in. So, yeah, it's going to be a one-hour webinar uh, that we've got. We've got 881 people subscribed so far, Brooks. How's that sound? Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, so it's no pressure. No pressure, yeah. Better. Uh, I only have one slide so far, and it's me logging into <laughs> Evernote. I guess I'm going to need to do a bit more than that. Yeah, I think we well we're recording we're recording part of it tomorrow, so you better you better get you better, you better no be bright eyed and bushy tailed. I'm kidding. If the, if there's one app I I live and breathe in, it's Evernote. So I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Very yes, cool. yeah, it should be it should be a good webinar. Yeah, and and for anybody who's interested in learning, even though it's not we're not positioning it as an Evernote primer, the things that we're going to be doing in the webinar really teach you the basis of using Evernote. So yep. uh, and, and Evernote is a very difficult project or product to just teach people how to use you almost have to have a project to base it against and going paperless is the sort of project that allow you to really learn the ins and outs of Evernote so yeah. I'm thinking it's going to be a it's going to be a heck of a good webinar so uh, so we're doing that we're delivering I think five times over the course of three days so lots yes. of different options the link is right there in the in the uh, in the show notes or in the chat so please uh, come and uh, and join Brooks and I, and I, I'm telling you, Brooks is going to be good because I'm I'm because I'm expecting him to be good. No pressure, and, no pressure. Hey guys, I, I got a question about that. Um, how do you compare uh, Evernote to um, the tool that's on Literature and Latte? Uh, is it called Scrivener or Scrivener? Oh, Scrivener. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been using it for my book writing, and you know, I mean, other than that, it's you can pretty much do very similar features uh, to Evernote. How do you guys like that at all? Uh, Scrivener is fantastic for yeah. writing, as as you know. Um, yeah. I think of uh, I don't. First of all, I don't think of Evernote so much as a writing application. I mean, I guess you could write in it if you want, but it's yeah. it doesn't have quite the same yeah. aspects as Scrivener does. Evernote is more just for storing storing your stuff, basically. Tem templates, I guess, too. Right? Yeah, and for, yeah, and it's for storing your stuff to be able to recall it later. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about it, like Steve said, in the context of going paperless, but it's for storing. Absolutely anything, yeah. But I, I think I know where you're running into some confusion, Bosco, is both of them are great at assembling all of your background information that you're going to use, sure. uh, that you're going to be using. 
And yeah. in that case there, I would look at Evernote as the, as the first stage, as triage, as you gather up all this stuff. It's the best place to clip stuff from the web and do all those sorts of things with. Yeah. But then, and then once you've got information that you're going to want to refer to a lot or you're actually doing the writing, I would move that into Scrivener. As far as I'm concerned, Scrivener is the, is the absolutely most brilliant composition tool. Uh, it was actually written for script and, and television writing originally. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of actually digital marketers that are using it right now for, um, for book writing too. Yes. Oh, well, for book writing, because you can assemble. You just have to. You can just kind of pound away on a on a on a theme, and and then you can re you can move it around. It it deals with it like index cards. If you're if you're into the organizational software world, if you like Trello, you'll yeah. like uh, you'll like uh, how you'll like how uh, how Scrivener works as well. And what is it? It's like thirty seven dollars or forty nine dollars. It's a ridiculously inexpensive price yeah. for such a full featured application. My daughter, uh, I've been p p hounding her for the last seven years to use it she's gone she's matriculated through her bachelor's degree done her master's now she's doing her phd and she finally bought scrivener a couple of months ago and she was just talking to me when i was walking uh, when i was chatting with her uh, two days ago and she goes oh dad i wish i'd gotten into scrivener earlier i've been yeah. watching the tutorials and and i she says i don't have time enough to watch all the tutorials for all the things it'll do so she really wishes she had embraced it earlier on in her career but she's using it to write her thesis as it's a great tool for that as well. Well, I'll keep you posted. I'm trying to write a chapter a month and so I'm on chapter 5 right now, so we'll see. Oh, good for you. That's that that's awesome. And you know, and, and it does give you so much structure. I I think mm -hmm. I think you're in the right tool for that. I absolutely do. So that that's a great point. John, I see that you've posted something. Your your book launch party of the new book? Yes, yes, my friends at uh, Zen Maker Lab, which is a, a North Vancouver maker space that just started up, uh, have offered to host a launch party of Kubo 3D printing. So uh, it's on June 2nd. I just a link to some more information about the book and the party. And I, I'm told there'll be food and drink and, uh, and uh, lots of... Uh, Real food there. or printed food? <laughs> Probably both. Okay. Well, I live in North Van, so I, I, I'll definitely be out there. Yeah, we'll yeah, all come. Cool. Yeah, no, it should be fun. It's a Monday night, too, so it's a quiet night normally. So Good stuff. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to wrap things up here in a few minutes. But first of all, I'm just going to let people know that this entire new venture, this show, is doesn't have any. We've come to you pretty much advertising free. Uh, that's because we're not going to bring on any corporate advertisers for the new Dotto Tech Live show. Instead, it's part of the uh, the, the Patreon venture that I've started. Uh, if you don't know what Patreon is yet. Patreon is crowdsourced funding for content creators, which is exactly what I am. So I'm going to pop in a link here for you to, if you are interested, to drop in and take a look at the Dototech Patreon page. And what this is, is this just basically for as little as a dollar a month, you can support us in all of our content endeavors. So uh, for my YouTube videos and for this show, uh, it, it goes to support us so that we don't have to go out and spend our time raising money. Uh, back when I did my TV show, I would spend about 60% of my time getting money and about 40% of my time creating content. By asking our communities to support us, I can spend 100% of my time creating content, which means I can create more and better content. And I hope that this show is, a, is an example of the sort of direction that we're heading for that. So if you aren't yet a Patreon supporter of Dotto Tech, drop by, take a look, see if it's something that you might be willing to support. And even if you don't want to support it, it's good that you know how this is working because I think that this sort of crowdfunding is uh, the way of the future. And yes, okay, I have to tell you right now who told me about Patreon. John Peeler. <laughs> John told You're me welcome, about Steve. I thank you. I should thank you. Where did you now? You met the founder. Yes. Uh, so 
Patreon was basically, uh, it came out of Jack Conti, who is uh, one half of Pomplemousse, which is a very popular musical duo on YouTube. They do really clever uh, and intricate and sometimes elaborate video covers of popular music. And so Jack uh, wanted to find a way to keep doing that and have, you know, rent and everything else covered. So, and he didn't really like any of the other options that were out there. So he created Patreon where basically people can sort of, it, you know, it, 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 there's lots of different ways of describing it, but basically it just it enables him and people like Steve to create content and actually consume and enjoy the content, can choose their level of uh, support, and it basically makes it uh, that much easier to pull all that stuff together. And there's been a huge amount of success. I met Jack at a conference last year in Portland called XOXO, um, and uh, he was just such an interesting and enthusiastic person. It was just, his presentation was really infectious. If you look on YouTube, you can find it. Um, I, I don't have it in front of me, but basically, uh, well, it looks like David's already posting some links there, but um, there's just a really high energetic, yeah, it's just great stuff. And, um, and I've just been watching a lot of different uh, artists doing really cool stuff, getting rewarded for doing it and just doing that. And so it's just a great way to to take the, the fans and put them in touch directly with the content creators uh, of all different types, not just music videos or um, websites, books, you name it. It's, it's just a, another form of crowdfunding, basically, yeah. that is much more direct. And, you know, different people have different ways of, of using it. So uh, some people will, you know, based on their Patreon supporters, they'll pick and choose what they're going to do next versus just keep doing their own thing, and then those people just get to continue to enjoy that. And most people still make their content available through traditional channels. It's just this is a much more... Um, oh. A closer connection to the to the creators and the fans of that of that particular creator. Yeah, you you provide some extra perks for the people who support, yeah. just like in Kickstarter would. Yeah. Uh, but and and but my philosophy is everything that I deliver is going to be free on, and, and, and so you can get it anyways. But it might have some ads incorporated in it if you watch it on YouTube. Whereas uh, if you if you if you view it on the Patreon page before it's been published, which I give early access to my stuff. You get to see it without the ads, but it's really about being a vote of support and also establishing a relationship with your with your community. And so I can tell you, as a content creator, uh, as soon as I get an email that says it's coming from one of my Patreon supporters, that's the first email I open when I open my email because they're the people who are showing support, and you just want to do that. So it's uh, for me, it's been a really interesting journey. We're only uh, about three weeks into it, but we're over a hundred and we're at around one hundred and thirty supporters, and we've hit our first milestone. So I'm I'm thrilled with it, John. You you put me in the right direction, and you've really got me thinking about content creation in a whole different uh, in how it can be supported business-wise in a whole different way. Yes. So thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, the, the really great thing about Jack was that he really wanted to focus on the artists and the creators uh, and not be a middleman like some of these services can be um, and really focus on I just posted the link on the chat to his actual talk with go to Steve and, and you signed up almost immediately so clearly it's uh, it's worth watching um, if it's even remotely interesting. Plus, his videos talks more about what he does and he it just shows the behind the scenes of some crazy stuff he built a spaceship set in his garage and he funded it by basically an early version of patreon and uh, it's, it's just really cool stuff good stuff and with that i think it is time for us to thank our guests and uh, all of the uh, the virtual studio audience looks like they hung in pretty well eh, dave yeah hey can i end with a quote 
Oh, oh, you. We didn't get to the story. We didn't get to the story that you wanted so badly, which was. Uh, let's give the backstory before we do it. Which is, uh, the folks at Salesforce.com have decided to get into the social media dashboard game. Yes, yes. So uh, I, I read an article today, uh, or actually a few days ago, and Ryan Holmes uh, basically sent out a tweet, uh, and it says, "Welcome to social at Salesforce." Reminds me of my favorite Kipling quote, and the quote says. They copied all they could follow, but they couldn't copy my mind, so I left them sweating and stealing a year and a half behind. <laughs> <laughs> and that pretty much describes Salesforce.com social media efforts up to this point. Uh, so, so good luck to them. Good luck yep. to them and to our, our friends at Hootsuite, who are, uh, who, are, who are the year and a half ahead. But that's uh, at least, <laughs> at least, yeah. at least. And with that, I got to thank John Beeler. Thanks so much. You're going to be back next week. We've got App Wednesday coming up. Yes, I've got some good ones. I've been good saving stuff. them up. Uh, David Hathaway, you're going to be back next week. We're going to get you a green screen to cover up the mess. <laughs> oh, he's talking and his mic is off. Okay. Mike. Uh, no, my mic uh, is now back on. My fancy mic has a mute switch, so this way you don't hear me laughing at, at stuff that you're saying. Okay, but good. But I'll have a fancy background next week. Okay, good stuff. Brooks nice Duncan, we will see you tomorrow morning as we record our webinar and we and uh, and and I. By the way, I'll be putting links links up to everybody's site in the uh, in the show notes. And uh, of course, if you're subscribed to our newsletter, you will be getting all of that information as well. And finally, Bosco Anthony, thanks so much, Bosco. Yeah, thanks, guys, and I hope to come back and share some more geek stuff with you. Oh, I guarantee you'll be back. You'll be back. I see why you were the top presenter at uh, at, uh, at Social Media Camp. Thanks so much for sharing with us today. And to thank everybody so out there in the uh, in the chat room, thanks so much. I hope that you feel like you were engaged in the in the conversation and that uh, that you felt you were part of it. I, I one thing we didn't do is we didn't get a lot of what you were saying on air, but I know that all of the all of our presenters were or all of our guests were in there chatting with you. So uh, we have to make sure that we in, we find good ways to include you. So any suggestions that you have, I am all ears. And with that, I'm going to say we're wrapping things up for tonight. I'm Steve Dotto. Have fun storming a castle. <laughs>